Lord, as we open your word, I pray, God, that we would understand what you want us to see. Lord, please, by the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray, God, you'd open up our hearts and you'd do what only you can do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Several years ago, when I was living in Albuquerque, I, uh, I, I worked, you know, when I was serving at Hoffmantown Church, it was a really fun experience. And one of the fun experiences about that was there's so many people on staff. And the staff was like a big family. And uh, most of the guys on staff played on a softball team. And uh, a really good buddy of mine was a, some really good baseball players. I, I, I played baseball only in the neighborhood. I played t-ball. When I played t-ball, I remember I was so horrified that I cried when the coach asked me my name. And I remember my dad had to go out on the field, and I had to, the only way I would run the bases is I would chase him. And he would run the bases, and I'd follow him. I was really an intelligent kid. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I was uh, playing softball. And so a lot of my buddies, they, they had baseball backgrounds, and they were really good. You know, they, they just thought they were so cool. Have you ever noticed? It's hilarious. We, we'd go out there, and I'd make fun of them. They, they had all the gear on. They just thought they were too cool for school. And uh, we'd get out there, but they were really good baseball players and good softball players. Well, one day we're in the dugout and we're playing some team and uh, Tommy looks at me and goes, Barber, he goes, go get on first. I looked at him and I was like, all right. So a guy, a guy flew out and uh, won out in the inning. So I just took off, ran across opposite dugout, ran across, you know, right past the pitcher's mound, got on first base and the guy just looked at me funny. I was just standing there. I was like, what's up? He's like, What's up? And so, and then about that time, the next guy, maybe it was Curtis or somebody, they got up and they just ripped one over to second baseman's head. And I mean, I was flying around the bases. I mean, I went past first to second, man. I was going as hard as I could go. And I went all the way around and I, and I scored and I came into the dugout and Tommy looked at me and goes, what are you doing? And I said, you wanted me to get on first. Somebody's hurt. He goes, no. I wanted you to coach first. <laughs> he goes, what are you doing, man? And I just looked at him, and we got to laughing. Because that guy, that first baseman was looking at me like, what are you doing? And I looked at him like I was totally where I needed to be. And, and I scored, and I think they counted the run. It was church softball. And, and I was thinking about it, you know, just before I came up here. I was like, and, and I want you to think about this. So often... Our theology is similar to my softball experience. Now, when you think about it, the way we are seeing it is just not the reality of what is happening. I, I was convinced I didn't do anything wrong. I was actually impressed with myself. But I couldn't have looked any dumber. And I couldn't have been any more incorrect. I want us to think about this today because we're going to look at a, a message entitled Divine Discipline, Divine Discipline. And I'll tell you, I, I learned so many things in, in looking at this material in the text. And so today as we get started, let's open up our Bibles or your device or whatever you're using and let's start reading in verse 4 of Hebrews chapter 12 down to verse 11, 
In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children, not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And I'll read verse 12. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. It moves on into verse 13 and to the continuing passage. This morning, as we look at divine discipline, I think sometimes that one of the struggles that we all face that's common to everyone in here is that we get caught up, don't we? It's, it's hard in our struggles to not lose perspective. We get caught up in um, our careers. And it's interesting because even as a a minister of the gospel, it's easy to lose sight of the calling and turn what you do into a profession simply as a way to provide. It's a way to do 40, 50, 60 hours a week, whatever it may call for. It's what you do. We get caught up into our schedule, we get caught up in our hobbies, we get caught up as good as it may seem on the surface, sometimes we can get caught up into our kids and our activities and it become an unhealthy activity and we can miss the reality of why we're here. I like the Westminster Confession and what's man's chief end? It says man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. But what so often happens is, is that we see our identity more through what we do, more through our hobbies, more through our sufferings, more through our relationships than we do through Christ. And as a result, sometimes we're as if we're walking in two different places and and we get a little bit goofy in the way we're thinking, in the way we're processing. And the scripture here is speaking to our adversity, to our suffering, to our hardships. James Moffat said, to endure rightly, one must endure intelligently. Another author goes on, if we have an informed, intelligent, biblical understanding of the afflictions that come our way, and we believe God's word, we will endure. I tell you, I wondered this morning how many of us have a uninformed, unintelligent, non-biblical understanding of afflictions when they come into our path. It's important 
that we listen to what God's word is saying today because it'll give us a guide, it'll give us the perspective that we must have in order to live. I was reading one commentary, adversity, suffering, and hardships are the means that God uses to bring his people to faithful and obedient sonship. This morning, we're gonna look at four questions relating to discipline. Four questions relating to discipline. Simple questions that I hope and pray will give us a handle on the passage that we're looking at. The first question is very easy and simple. What is it? What is it? When we think about divine discipline, what is discipline? What is discipline? If you go through the text, you have to notice, you know, that I heard, and you may have heard this before, but one way to understand the context of a passage is just by noticing the most familiar words within a text. And a quick just glance at chapter 12, verses 4 through 11, you, you, you begin to see the word discipline, disciplines, disciplined, over and over and over. In fact, you see it nine times in the ESV translation. Nine times it's mentioned in verses four through 11, and you can clearly see that the subject of this passage is dealing with God's discipline. And so if we're going to look at God's discipline and understand it better for our life, we've really got to look into what the word means. I think the biggest eye-opener for me in, in studying this, for some reason, I've always distinguished Discipline. I saw discipline as under the realm of trials and suffering, I would say, but I've always seen discipline really mainly dealing with corrective discipline. And I think one thing that, that I've been challenged by, and I've really adapted my view, discipline is far greater than just corrective discipline. I'll give you an example. The word is is the word that, that, that really comes from the idea of instruction. It's, it's the idea of instruction of children. And looking at a lot of different sources and learning from a lot of godly men, one comment that really helped me on the meaning of this word, listen to this, discipline means to provide instruction with the intent of forming proper habits of behavior, of providing guidance for responsible living of rearing and guiding a child towards maturity. It's a broad term signifying whatever parents and teachers do to train, correct, cultivate, and educate children in order to help them develop and mature as they ought. One, one way that I think we're going to see this, and I learned this from another pastor, and I find it very helpful, is that when we think about discipline, we have to consider not only discipline that corrects, but discipline that protects, and discipline that instructs. We have to consider that our Father disciplines us in many different ways but he uses suffering and hardship and adversity in his redemptive purposes within our lives as Christians. God is committed to conforming us into the image of his son. And he uses discipline along the way. 
And we have to take time and prayerfully consider the implications for our journey. I was reading different quotes and Leon Morris says, suffering comes to all, it is a part of life, but it is not easy to bear. Yet it is not quite so bad when it can be seen as meaningful. And and one thing I think that often happens is that when we endure discipline, we have a hard time processing how in the world can something that looks so bad be used in a way that God means for good, that God accomplishes his purposes. Here we see that Christian suffering is rightly understood, as one man said, only when seen as God's fatherly discipline, correcting and directing us. We've got to look at this. Uh, I want you to consider some of this. Uh, You know, one of the uh, quotes that I came across was concerning what discipline was, what it's not. And, And one of the examples of Michelangelo was a novice once asked him how he sculpted such beautiful statues and pointing to an angel he had just chiseled out of marble. He said, I saw the angel in the marble. I chiseled until I set it free. That really grabbed me. God has unique, sovereign, wise purposes in his discipline as our father in our Road and on our road of sanctification for our holiness, for the growth of righteousness in us as he matures us and conforms us into the image of Christ Jesus. When we look at some of these ideas of correcting discipline, I think one of the Old Testament stories that illustrates this in a way that we can really grasp and quickly identify with was the sin that David committed with Bathsheba. And you remember when, when Nathan came to David and, and he gave him the consequences of the sin of what he now was going to deal with. It says in 2 Samuel, now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. I think, you know, even as an early young Christian, you could look at that. And if you read the word discipline, you could see that God was bringing correction in the life of David. I think we could identify with that. But I think sometimes we fail to see that in in the way that God disciplined David, even in the beginning when he was revealing to him the consequences of what he was going to have to face, God was doing a work. I I think sometimes we, we have a view of God that's inconsistent with his attributes. And I think the Christian life is a lifelong process where we come to understand more correctly and faithfully who God is in his word. Have you ever had a view of God that literally God was like around the corner about ready to just start, you know, with a stick in his hand, ready to get you if you messed up? A lot of people have this view of God where God is seeking to constantly punish them And the way that they view punishment is not through the lens of the cross. They almost view God no different than any cynical parent you would see at the ball fields who tends to overreact when one of their kids rebels. You see, 
It is pivotal that we come to know God as he's revealed himself. And as we look at who God is, if we don't understand the attributes of God, we are going to go down a road where we're going to draw incorrect conclusions and often we'll draw them from human examples. It could be that you didn't have a father that that loves you in a way that you seek to parent your child. And the pain of that is great. And you're tempted in the midst of agony and suffering, you're tempted to draw those same comparisons into your way that you view God. And so we, we see that Psalm 51 says that God's discipline of David, even in the beginning phases of it, what did David say in Psalm 51? For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Do you remember when we read Psalm 51, we see this miraculous work of God, providential work of God in the life of his servant, whereby through his correction and through his discipline, even as he's not endured all the the consequences of the sin that he's, he's brought upon himself, God is using it not in a way to get David, but in a way to grow him. In a way, when we think of David as a man after God's own heart, I don't know about you, but even, you know, as a young kid, I'd be like, wait a minute, you know, this guy messed up a lot. He committed adultery. He was a murderer. How can this guy be a man after God's own heart? Yet, yet what we see, this beautiful way in which God worked through the life of David, and how did he bring this about? Through discipline, through correction, and in so many different ways. You know, another example of this is I was reading, you know, and, and so many of these early thoughts here in the very beginning of who, what is it? What is discipline was just a lot of research and, and gaining wisdom from, from commentators and preachers. And, and one reminder of, of an example of this that I saw was in 1 Corinthians. And this is a good one. You remember in 1 Corinthians where Paul is, is, is the people at Corinth were abusing the Lord's Supper. They were getting drunk with the Lord's Supper. I mean, they were, they were just doing things that were sinful and wrong. And, and as a result of, of what Paul is saying to them and how he's bringing God's discipline to them, what, what does he say? He says, but when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. God loves us. God is working. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 1 says, he, he loves us. He, he purchased us. He called us. We are his children. And when we have to remember that when we begin to think about what is discipline. We think of discipline as correction, but think about how God prevents and protects us in the midst of discipline. And, and I'll give you an example that I came across that I thought was really helpful. You remember Paul, in his life, he dealt with a, if I, a thorn in his flesh, right? The Bible doesn't tell us what it was. We speculate, and I think there's some good ideas. But what, notice what it says here. In 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7, notice the opening words. So to keep me from becoming conceited. Wait a minute. If you look at... Seven, eight, nine, and 10, and we don't have time to go through it really slow this morning. I just want you to be reminded of the passage where Paul basically is pleading with God that this 
thorn of flesh would be taken from him. And then what do we read two verses later? He says, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And if you go back to verse seven, so to keep me from becoming conceited. You see what's going on there? Discipline is not just something that's corrective. Discipline can also be, I mean, it's not, it's not just correct, correction. It also can be protection. God, God works in unique ways. I think one of the hard parts about this is we can't always discern what is actually happening in adversity, hardship, and suffering. It's not always that simple, is it? We can't look at it and go, aha, this is exactly what is happening in my life as a result of this suffering. But here is the encouragement. While we can't always categorize it and say, aha, this is corrective discipline. This is more protective. This is more instructional. This is to bring encouragement. This is to do this. What we can be assured of is this passage, along with so many other passages in the New Testament that deal with suffering, trial, adversity, hardship, they give us a grid and they give us a lens in which we can now process what we are living through. And so what do we find? I mean, we see this idea of not only correction, but we see in Paul's life, God used hardship, God used difficulty, and he did it in a way for Paul to come to understand who Jesus was, to understand his sufficiency, to recognize his grace. Let me, let me ask you something. And this is something that may sound like a cliche question and one everybody's gonna be obligated to answer by raising your hand, but I want you to think. Isn't it true that we grow in Christ as hard as it may be more in our valleys than we do on the mountaintops? I remember there was a man that, uh, you know, it's, it's amazing how you talk to Christians, you talk to pastors, and uh, the Christian world is really fascinating because, you know, there's different people that have influenced different people, and so often you find somebody that relates to somebody in that circle, but they didn't know other people. But it, it, there was a time in my life where a man that made a big impact on my father in his 30s and 40s was a man by the name of Manly Beasley. Manly Beasley was a man who went through great suffering. They thought he was going to die multiple times. And uh, many times you'd hear calls like, well, Brother Manly's about to die. And, uh, and it was amazing how the Lord continued his life. And, and, and Brother Manly had a way with uh, words. I remember as a kid, I, I sort of like, I really watched this guy when he was preaching. I, I just sort of like really was curious to see what he was going to do. He was one of those guys that kept you on your toes. And he, did, he was stern yet nice, but he was an interesting fellow, you know what I mean? And I really respected him. He was, he was a really godly man. And, and, and Manly one time mentioned the story. He said he, he was walking through a hospital and he went into a lady's room and she said, Brother Manley, would you please pray that God would heal me? Would God would bring me out of this suffering? And, and the story went like this. Brother Manley looked at the woman. He says, man, would you, let me ask you a question. Can you tell me how you have grown in your walk with Jesus through the pain you've gone through? And the lady began to just cry. And she said, Brother Manley, I've never known Jesus like I've known him in the midst of my suffering. And Brother Manley looked at her and says, ma'am, are you sure you want me to be praying for your healing? 
You see, I think what happens is, is this is something we all relate to. Our flesh wants to run from any suffering. Our flesh wants to run from any adversity. And, and we, 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 so anytime that we look at suffering, adversity, or hardship, apart from God's word and how it reveals to us what God is up to, we are lost in the midst of pain. We don't know how to process it, but I want to encourage you here because God is working. You know, there's, there's education in the process. There's educational discipline. There's corrective discipline. There's God is shaping, he's molding, he's cultivating. I want you to think about how you are with your kids. And if you have any desire for them to grow as mature Christians and you want them to flourish as people, there's so many different things that you do as a parent that are involving the shaping and cultivating of that precious child. I want you to think about how much more our heavenly father when it comes to what God has done. We think of the book of Job and we think about, I don't know about you, but it brings perspective often to my greatest complaints. I go through something and you would think that I was having it harder than anybody in the world. And I get around other people and I'm amazed. I mean, not to downplay the significance of our circumstances because James says our trials are like color-coded trials. God uses color-coded trials and he has purposes with every one of our trials. So if you're going through small things that are nagging you, God's got a purpose in it and God works in it. But I want you to see this. At the end of the book of Job, what was one of the results of this godly man? Remember, he was blameless before God. And at the end of the book, what does it say? Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. And then look what he says. In chapter 42, verse five, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Wow. God, even in the midst of the hardships of Job's life, was working in discipline in ways that we cannot fathom. We look at all of this and we get a better perspective of what's taking place We can always be sure, as one author said, that his discipline will correct us, protect us, or instruct us. Whatever the reason, it will be for our good, and we should be thankful. But number two this morning, we got to move. What are the wrong responses? What are the wrong responses? Spurgeon says this. Now hear this out. Note the two evils of which we are in danger either of making light of God's discipline or else of giving up under it. One more time. Note the two evils of which we are in danger, either of making light of God's discipline or else of giving up under it. He goes on, either of thinking too little or too much of them. And then he says, happy is the Christian who takes the middle course and never despises the discipline of the Lord, nor ever faints under it. And that's what we see in our text. In verse four, he says, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. I thought this was fascinating. Sometimes when you read a text, you start identifying the questions you have of the text. And this is one of my biggest questions. It's like, what is he saying there? What does he mean? 
I had, I had a hunch, but I wanted to hear some more hunches that were similar to mine, right? And I'm looking at this, and, and one thing that came across that really helped me, he says, one guy said, it looks as though the author is here reminding the Christ, his Christian friends Though they've experienced some unpleasant hostility, they've not yet been required to pay for their faith by the surrender of their lives. God's not done with them. Keep it in perspective because what has he just done at the end of the hall of faith? You could say in Hebrews 11, he's reminded them of so many that, that died. And yet he's given them perspective. And then look at verse five. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Now we're gonna hit that one hard on the next question. But then he says, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. And so what the author does, remember what's in the background, these Christians that are tempted to go back to Judaism. They're tempted to become overwhelmed by suffering. And what is he doing? He's saying, wait a minute, you're misunderstanding your suffering. You're misunderstanding it. You've got to understand what God is doing. Let me give you the theology behind everything that you're going to encounter. Let me give you a perspective biblically. And here he mentions this, this, this first one. You know, there, there's this idea of, okay, in your struggle, and then verse five, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly. That's the word, lightly. What does it mean to regard lightly the discipline of God? What does that mean? I, I came across... Uh, an illustration of this. It's like, to regard it lightly, it, the, the, the word that in my translation in Proverbs 3 is to despise the discipline of God. You despise it. How many of us have been guilty of just despising hardship? Have you ever despised hardship besides me? Anybody? Don't leave me alone up here. Anybody else? Yeah, I think other people have. You get to where you just want to get rid of it. Get me out of this. I want to be done with it. I, I can't stand this. I don't like it. Don't regard lightly. It's uh, to disesteem or care little for, to consider of small worth, to despise something. One thing I came across, one pastor uh, said, a woman who, who'd endured much suffering asked her pastor, when am I going to get out of these troubles? He wisely responded, you should have asked, what am I going to get out of these troubles? How many of you are more on the side when you go through adversity, pain, and hardship, your only concern in looking at the adversity, the pain, the suffering, and the hardship is just getting to the other side. Get me through it. This is of no value. This is nothing. This is a tough one. I've been there so many times in my Christian life. God is gracious. God is gracious and, and God has used discipline in my life. And I'm a slow learner. I feel like the slowest learner in the room. But by the grace of God, I feel like the Holy Spirit is helping me nudge along in understanding this about my heart. I've sought to avoid it, avoid it, avoid it. And then when you get in the middle of it, it's just like a whiny disposition that basically reveals how much you disdain the very tool that God has ordained for you to have to grow you in his purpose. Anybody relate with me? Don't take it lightly. 
Don't take it lightly. Don't just despise it. Don't consider it of small worth. I mean, God is doing a work here. And then he goes on and he says another reaction, nor be weary when reproved by him. I've been on that side too. I've just despised it, been tempted to despise it. By the grace of God, I came out of that reaction. But the other side is to be crushed by it. You can't, you can't recover. You're so overwhelmed by the suffering and adversity that you've gone through that you now are weary. You're weary, you're faint-hearted, you can't move forward. Don't regard it lightly. Don't become overwhelmed to the point of feigning. Now, now keep going here. Third question, what does it reveal? What is it? What are the wrong responses? Be light with it. Be overwhelmed by it. Number three, what does it reveal? There's a lot of things it reveals, so maybe this is a poor question in the way it's worded. But what I want you to see here is it reveals something that is humongous. It reveals that you are a child of the Father. It reveals that you're a son. And ladies, don't be discouraged. It would reveal that you're a daughter. It would reveal that you are related to the Father. Now notice what he does. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? I think one of the problems that we're tempted to think when we go through adversity is we forget that God is dealing with us Christians as sons. I tell you, I, I was thinking about this later on as we get into this. Man, I adore my kids. I can't imagine loving my kids more than I do. I don't think anybody in the world loves their kids more than I love mine. Now, I know you feel the same way, and I'm thankful if you feel that way. We could all relate to that, couldn't we? I love them. I care for them. I, I just, I have so much joy with them. I, I'm thankful for them. I love being with them. And I want you to see this. I deal with them differently because of the lens of the relationship. This morning, it could be that one of the biggest stumbling blocks you have in processing adversity and suffering in your life is that you can't, you're not resting in the wonder and the truth and the implications of the gospel. If you're a child of the king, he, he has demonstrated his love for you by dying for you. He has shown you his thoughts towards you. He loves you. He cares for you. And what he does is he goes back to that quotation out of Proverbs 3, and he says, it addresses you as sons. Now, now keep moving here. We got to move to get through with this. It addresses you as sons. Verse 6, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves. Wait a minute. The Lord disciplines who? The one he loves. I'll tell you, if, if, when I was a kid, you know, I used to get frustrated when my dad would say, you know, this is harder on me than it is on you. I was like, yeah, right. Whatever. But man, it goes full circle, doesn't it? If you've had that experience as a kid and, and then you get older and you discipline your own children. And what do you find out about the heart of discipline from a parent is the heart of discipline, the way God intended it is love. Is love. And he chastises every son whom he what? Receives. 
You look, look at the relationship here. What does it reveal? It reveals a relationship. It reveals sonship. It reveals fatherhood. Verse 7, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Look at verse 8. Look at the implications here. If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. If this is not happening, it's, it's really interesting here because what he's showing is God is, God is serious about this whole process of sanctification. If you can live your life, go through adversity, go through pain, you have no regard for the things of God, you could take or leave being with the body of Christ. And in all these things, what you really need to do, and I say this to you not out of spite or out of sarcasm, you really need to question whether or not you're in the family. There, there's a brand of, of, of a wrong Christianity that exists, and it's basically like this easy believism where somebody prayed a prayer and, and their life demonstrates nothing of the work of the Holy Spirit in their life. And for years, the thing that holds them in some type of security is some decision they made when they were nine. I tell you, if you're not a son, you can do whatever you want and however you want to do it. But if you're a son and you're a daughter, guess what? Your father won't let you go. You, you see, I told you this before, but when I'm at McDonald's, not, I'm not there much anymore. I used to be there a lot. McDonald's playground. <laughs> I won't tell you what I was thinking, but anyway. Um, <laughs> but but you, you go to that playground, and, and the only kids I yell at in that playground are mine. I'm not going to yell at your kid. I may imply that I'm yelling at your kid, but I'll do it secretively. But anyway, um, I don't. You know, when, when I was growing up, my dad didn't call out other kids that were acting up in church. He called out me. And I remember he did it one time, and it was enough to put fear in me like you'd never known. Stephen, sit down. He told me, and I sat down. Uh, when, when, and when I was in a store growing up with my, with my dad or my mom, and I treated someone rudely at the checkout counter, and I had a talk in the car where they looked at me and they said, look, you don't understand. You know, the way you treat people, it's nothing if you just, if you're nice to people that are nice back to you, that's what the world does. If it benefits you, you're a nice guy. How do you treat people that can't give you anything back? That was the lesson they taught me. I mean, they didn't go grab every kid in the store that was acting rudely to other people and tell them that. They taught me that. Why? I was their son. You see, there's a different relationship between a son and a father. A father deals with his son. He doesn't try to go out and discipline all the other kids. He deals with his. I want you to see this here. There's a precious way that the author is demonstrating this through the power of the Holy Spirit, that in our adversity and in our hardships and in our sufferings, God loves us and he's committed to us as our father and he's working for our good. I was thinking about, y'all can relate, parents. You know, you, it does. It's hard to discipline your kids because you don't want to see them go through hardship, but then you have to get re, you know, back to the word of God and understand discipline. But when you discipline them, you love them, you care for them. You remember in the Sermon on the Mount, 
where it says, how much more your heavenly father? Wow, I, I tell you, if you're struggling with the way God works adversity, suffering, and hardship within your life, you better remember how much more your heavenly father. It reveals that we are sons. Verse 9, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? In verse 7, in my translation, it says, it is for discipline that you have to endure. I think that there are other translations that hit this better. Um, I think that basically the idea is this. You are enduring for the sake of an education. You are enduring for the purposes God's bringing about in your discipline. Verse 10, for they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. Number four, what does it produce? What does it produce? What it produces is amazing here. I'll tell you, um, I have, there's been so many times, I think one of the ways we take light of the discipline of God is when we're in it, we just focus so much on the problem and the, and the circumstance and the trial that we don't actively go to God and in humility say, Lord, would you show me who I am before you? Don't, don't, don't make the mistakes I've made in that. You see, in our suffering, if we are willing to be trained by it, have you ever been around a kid when he got corrected and he had the most arrogant disposition towards the person correcting him? Maybe it was we relate to our own selves when we were young. I've done that before. But think about it. There's this beauty here in the text about verse 11 at the end says, to those who have been trained by it. When we are trained by it, when we are softened through hardship, when we go to the Lord with open hands and not with a fist of bitterness towards God and we come to him and say, oh dear God, I don't know how to categorize it. I don't know exactly what your purposes are, but oh Lord, would you teach me? And oh Lord, would you help me to know you more? And oh Lord, would you help me to see that you were good? You look at this, what does it produce? He says right here, verse 10, for they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may what? Share his holiness. Wow. You mean to tell me that if you're a child of God, God has ways through the grace of the Holy Spirit, God has ways to bring you along this road? And God has ways of dealing with you as his child to sanctify and grow you in godliness. Again, I tell you, if your life is in a pattern of unrepentant sin, zero to 100 over a course and over a pattern of your life, you better go before God in humility and cry out to him, God reveal to me where I'm at with you. Because what does this demonstrate here? It doesn't demonstrate perfection, far from it. We would need discipline if we were perfect. But what has God done? God has set us free through the power of the cross. And now even as we're in this road dealing with our flesh, God is faithful as a faithful high priest. And he's working in the lives of his children. And even through our struggle, 
our struggle and even through the pain and even through hardship, what is God doing? He's revealing his loving hands in our life as he works through adversity, hardship, and suffering, and he even produces holiness. You see, as a Christian, we're positionally holy because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you believe in Christ, now you're referred to as a saint. Why? Because you've received the holiness of Christ is in you, but there's a practical holiness. And a practical holiness is the idea that God is working out of you what he's done in you. He's making you holy, but what else does it say here? It says that he's also, it yields what? It yields, a, it yields a, the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Look at that. It's amazing. God works. God grows us. I tell you, if we went around the room and people gave testimonies today, it would be really important for us to hear from, I tell you, the growing trend, uh, you realize that in the, in, in the way evangelicalism looks at pastors, now I'm an old pastor. I wouldn't be even considered by a lot of churches because I'm not looking to leave. I'm just telling you from the main, they want pastors under 40 years old. Isn't that interesting? We literally would want people that are younger in their faith than we would people that have gone through a lot of suffering, adversity, and hardship. Because the one thing that is true about any older brother that I've ever met, if he's in Christ Jesus, he's broken. Through the hardships and the difficulties and adversities of life, and he has a story to tell of the goodness of God in the midst of pain. We don't need to discount those stories. We need the people in our lives that have walked with God longer than us. We need people to share with us the stories of the faithfulness of God because here's the story. God is going to finish what he started. He's faithful. Even though it's painful, even though it's not pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Those who've been trained by it speaks of those that are willing to submit to it in the process. So what do we have this morning? I saw a quote that, and I think I lost the paper that I had. It was a really good quote too. Let me find it. Hang on. I left that back there. Let me see if I can get it. This is uh, awkward preaching here for a second. Hang on. There's a quote that I uh, came across. Here it is. Listen to what Elizabeth Elliot says. We are not adrift in chaos. To me, that is the most fortifying, the most stabilizing, the most peace-giving thing that I know about anything in the universe. Every time the things have seemingly fallen apart in my life, I have gone back to those things that do not change. He loves me. I am not at the mercy of chance. He's a father. He's not, I heard one, he's not just the doctor that runs to repair when there's an accident. He's the loving surgeon that makes incisions. He's a good God. He's sovereign over our lives. When we look at this, I wanna close out with one verse. Proverbs 3, 11, 12, two verses. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. But this hit me. I missed this the first time I read it. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves. 
I love this last phrase. It's a quotation from, it's from Proverbs 3.12. As a father, the son in whom he what? Delights. That's the way God looks at his children. God's not out to get you. God's not out to mock you. God's not out to destroy you. He loved you so much. He called you to himself. He's purchased you with his blood. And through the pain and through the hardship and through the adversity, he's working out his purposes. So what is it? It's training, corrective, educational, preventative. He's loving, good, and wise, faithful to keep his word. What are the wrong responses? Take it too light or too hard. What does it reveal? It reveals that we are sons. It reveals that he's our father. What does it produce if we are trained by it? It produces holiness and yields righteousness. Would you bow your head? Lord, I thank you for your word. God, I pray that that you would put this deep in our hearts. I pray, God, that it would shape us. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord, you're so good to us. Lord, there's so many times in my life that I have taught similar passages and walked right out of here and faced circumstances and gone about it the exact opposite. But, oh, Lord, I thank you for your goodness and faithfulness. Lord, I thank you that the testimony of your people, that if there's any advancement, it's all of grace. (laughs) It's all of your goodness. And, Lord, I thank you that we have hope that as we submit to the adversity and hardship and suffering that we don't understand, it's never wasted. God, you work in your wisdom and in your power and in your knowledge. And oh Lord, I pray that we would live out of a right understanding. We would live in a correct reality of what the Bible reveals about not only who you are, but about what you accomplish in the midst of pain. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.